podcast episode 246 this week we have shannon from sweetwater aquaponics of south africa thanks for joining us you got up very early today yes i did thank you very much for having me i've been looking forward to it so i could hardly sleep sleep very well last night so i'm very excited to be here thank you stephen yeah we uh we actually are, are going to show you guys a bunch of film from his uh from his farm, we have pictures of his farm that we'll be showing you and talking about growing in South Africa, both in soil and aquaponics. He has a really amazing aquaponic vegetable and, and uh, cannabis farm, and it's going to be really awesome to uh, to check that out. Uh, we also have Fumador. How's it going? How's it going, folks? Cheers. Uh, hanging out, uh, smoking joints, and uh, hopefully going to ask a few questions. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, happy to learn about uh, more aquaponics. Cheers, guys. Uh, we are, uh, for those of you who don't know, you can check out Fumador on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays over on his channel, Fumador and the Flavors. That's it. Thank um, you. So don't, don't forget, you. we have our, second, I'm going to pull it up here. We'll be doing more announcements of some of the speakers for the uh, virtual aquaponic cannabis conference coming up in November shortly. Um, we are finished up booking the second day and we're possibly moving to even adding a third day to the conference. So uh, it's really, really cool. And uh, we're looking at just adding a couple more people to one or two of the panels. But we actually have panels for three different sized facilities. So everything from like home grow to craft uh, grower to large scale commercial. So it'll be really, really, really cool. Um, and uh, uh, also be sure to check out apmjclass.com if you're looking for a full top to bottom uh, master class on aquaponic cannabis growing. We do cover all aspects of aquaponic cannabis and we add new content all the time. Uh, I just put uh, four more hours up today uh, to the class. So we cover every aspect of it that you can think of in the video and with tons of additional resources as well uh, and uh, guides and how to's and quick reference guides. And, and all righty. Um, Thanks a lot for joining us, Shannon. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your farm? I'm going to go ahead and put up some footage of your farm here on the screen uh, to, while you uh, tell us about your farm. So so uh, how did you get started and why did you decide on aquaponics there in South Africa? Uh, you know, it's not hear a lot of people in SA do. Well, it was actually through default that, that I stumbled across aquaponics, Stephen. I was a, a protea farmer. Um, proteas are, are indigenous flowers to South Africa. and um, I was farming proteas for export, so <clears throat> I did have a, I do come from a farming background. Um, and I came up to the Eastern Cape on a visit and I stumbled across a small system, a small modular system, which I'd never seen before and I inquired about it. And um, <clears throat> I was told there was a course going on in a small town called Salem up, up the road from where I'm living now and operating from. And they were, they were doing five day courses there. So I went and I did a course to get more understanding of aquaponics and then i met my partner um andrew diago who who's initially a builder um, and was obviously intrigued with with the future of of the scarcity of water in in south africa and decided that he'd, he'd want to try aquaponics commercially so he asked me if, if i thought we could do it commercially and i said i think so but it had never been done commercially in south africa that i've known of 
So we, we <coughs> embarked on, on that journey and we approached our consultant and we designed big commercial systems based on the smaller modular systems which he had designed. Um, so it was a bit of a journey uh, doing the, the, the scale up, but very exciting. Um, and we put everything together and we were basically the first aquaponics um, farm in South Africa producing food for the commercial market. And we were obviously pushing um, the chemical free scenario, everyone going organic in the world. So we, we jumped onto that bandwagon and pursued this. So we opened up a company of, of fresh vegetables and we supplied uh, supermarkets and game reserves and private schools in the area. And it went very well. And we did that for three years and then the cannabis um, industry opened up. And so we applied for a license and we didn't, we'd never done it before. I did, I did some trials to prove to my partner that it, it would work in, in aquaponics against the grain. Um, everyone I'd approached about it had told me that it wouldn't work in aquaponics, but I was hell-bent to make it work. So I persevered. Um, and then obviously being being new to, the, to aquaponics um, and cannabis, it was a steep learning curve. And um, we learned very quickly that the systems weren't able to supply the nutrition that cannabis needed. So we actually had to double up on our media beds to improve nitrification so that, that the systems could supply enough nutrition. So it's been a wonderful learning curve and we're still doing a changeover from, from food to cannabis. Our one big concern is monocropping. So we've also seen that as a, as a, as a challenge due to pest infestation in, this, in the systems. But everything we do is, is, is real RPM based. So obviously being a biological system, we, we don't want to interrupt any of the biological going on in, in the systems. So it's, it's, it's actually going very well at the moment. Um, I, I, all the pressure on, on the systems um, was focused on the aquaponic systems, which, which was rather unbearable for me <laughs> because of the, of the changes I had to put in, into the systems. Um, so I actually had said to my partner, we had to back out of the aquaponics and, and focus on another grow. So we went into the ground in tunnels uh, to do organic cannabis. So I had the, the biomass to provide um, my partner for the market. And now I've got those 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 um, tunnels established and running beautifully. I'm now back into the aquaponics. I can refocus on the systems and and get them up to up to steam as to how they should be running. So that's that's just basic um, information in a nutshell how we started and, and to where we are now, Stephen. That's awesome. So what what type of uh, cultivars are you growing there? I think that's the first question a lot of people are wondering. Well, we, when we first started, we didn't have access to, to um, phytosanitary certificates for, for cultivars. So we were initially working on recreational strains, which we were able to import slowly and slowly, but surely from seed companies. Um, but I did have a, a, a skunk uh, cultivar, skunk number one, which was brought into the country in the early 80s by a friend of mine, Simon, who's a strain hunter. And uh, I was a gatekeeper for that strain for several years. And I introduced it into the, into the premises um, when we opened up the, the cannabis trials. And um, going forward, we still don't, don't have a phytosanitary for that, but now we've created um, a certificate of origin for that, that particular strain. And I'm now also using some in-house strains and also some jinx proof um, just to, to bolster the THC count. 
Um, the, the skunk number one that I'm working with at the moment ranges between 20 to 25% THC and, and that all of that is aimed at Australia as an offtake. Um, also, we'll be doing some breeding as well now. I'm, I'm doing some aquaponic breeding um, just to get the, the, because we're on the coast, so we have a lot of humidity issues. So I'm, I'm trying to breed out some humidity issues on that. But I'm using mostly American strains and that one English, English skunk number one at the moment. And also, we, we, we haven't introduced CBD into our systems. We're only going for the THC route at the moment because we are the only aquaponic license and we believe that our product is going to be a niche product aimed at the, the upper, upper market. We believe that and we still need to achieve that. One of the biggest problems that I've had from the start with, with cannabis, not, not with food, is that the, the, the plant accumulates um, um, ne negative compounds like heavy metal, arsenic. Uh, I've had immense problems with arsenic that build up in my plants and you can't flush it out. Um, we've tried different scenarios, but it doesn't, doesn't work. So we really had to drill down and, and try and find out where the arsenic was coming from. And I've, I've done all sorts of tests on my systems where, where leaching may be occurring from the stones. I've tested the source of the water because we've been a developing country. And being so, we, we have um, municipal issues in, in, in different areas with water treatment and the water we actually use in our systems is water that's come through a reverse osmosis system from the sea. Um, so we, we, we were informed that, that the, the arsenic is coming from the water source and, and that it, it was coming down, um, was coming through the RO systems and then settling in, into, the, into the aquaponics and then being taken up by the cannabis plants. So we, we did all sorts of water tests on that. Um, we, we, we even thought it might be coming off the roof tiles. So we, we did thorough tests and even we sent, sent off lettuce uh, samples to see if the lettuce was also accumulating the arsenic and, and it, it hasn't. So it's, it's definitely a, a cannabis problem. Um, well, not a problem, but it's almost like a canary in a mine. It's, it's an indicator that, that we have an issue. And I, and then I then I met Stephen on on Instagram, and I just asked him the question, and incredibly, he just pointed pointed out the problem straight away. So I'm ever grateful for that, Stephen. And and he said to me that the problem was was um, from kelp derived from kelp, and because I had the nutrition problems in the systems, I bolstered the nutrition. Well, I thought I was bolstering the nutrition with the product called Seabrix, which is derived from kelp. Um, it's, it's extract, seaweed extract. And funnily enough, I was adding the arsenic to the systems myself unknowingly. So I'm very grateful for Stephen for that. And now I'm doing this, this grow that I'm doing now that you see on the screen is, it should be a clean grow. And I will, I will demonstrate on, on the COAs to Stephen that, that hopefully that, that, that was the problem. So. I look forward to testing that cannabis. Yeah, we there's quite a few people that have, you hear talking about in some of the other soil circles that are also running into some heavy metal issues around certain kelps and rock dusts. You know, when when they're used in excess, you can you can totally use them in uh, in small amounts. It's just when they're used uh, as a primary form of supplementation that it can get you. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, it looks really really nice. You can see it. Uh, quite well constructed uh, a facility there. Um, 
uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, some of the methodology you're using for your soil growing in terms of, uh, you know, how you're going about that with your, your cannabis. In fact, I can sure. show you of that too. Um, so the, yeah, the, the, the tunnels that we've got are all with cannabis in the ground. It's, it's certainly the, the cheapest way of, of growing cannabis. If you compare it to all the high tech grows that you see around the world with all the, the high tech everything. Um, we just basically put up the normal tunnels that we would use for vegetables, um, 30 meters by 14 meters. And we have six rows of, of 25, 25 plants in a row, uh, 21 plants in a row. Um, so we get in 125 plants in a tunnel um, and we space them accordingly so that they don't touch. And then we just put down drip irrigation. But the, the, the soil preparation is minimal as well. We just get an organ, we drill quite a, quite a wide hole and a deep hole into the ground. The soil, the soil here is, is quite a heavy clay soil. So we, it, it actually leaves basically like a ceramic pot in the, in the ground. And then that, that pot we fill with a medium that we create here, which is a compost based um, soil medium. We fill the holes and then plant into that, and then we just um, line up drip irrigations on that, and then we have uh, four well by one hundred LED lights above them, which which power them through the night. So it's very basic, but very effective, and um, it's it's where my biomass is coming from at the moment. And even in that, we we don't we don't um, dose at all. We, if we do any kind of nutritional feeding, we Basically, we've been using the Seabrick space, and we haven't had any any arsenic issues in that. So I'm assuming that the microbes in the soil and the basic um, biology in the soil are breaking down any negativity and, and not and preventing the cannabis plant from taking up the, the arsenic. So that's that's the difference that I'm, I'm thinking is, is is working and the difference in the soil with that nutrition. So we don't we don't do any hydroponic feeding. Just, just the, the sea bricks extract um, in the soil, and then some foliar spray with with some um, lactic acid, which is basically a moringa-based moringa tree-based extract, which opens the pores on the plant and it allows the plant to to basically absorb everything in a hurry. It's it's, it's a new product that's made up in South Africa. So you know we're feeling our way. Feeling, sorry, I'm sorry. There was a little bit of a delay. Please tell me about the moringa extract because in Jamaica that was one of the things that we were using for compost teas. But um, I'd love to hear more about it because again, this is kind of a across the pond, you know, quite a ways uh, to hear that same kind of thing being used for for uh, for uh, fertigation. Uh, uh, tell us more about that. Well, I must I must be honest with you, Stephen. I've only just received the product and I've only just learned about it. And I met a, a cannabis grower who was an indoor grower up in, in, in the in the Vol recently, and he introduced me to it. And it's a brand new product that they've just based, basically made up in, in South Africa. And I'm basically the only second grower in the country who's using it. And I haven't used it as yet. I only received it this week. So I'm still doing some research on it, but I'll certainly send you the um I'll take a picture and I'll send you the, the, the breakdown of, of what it's made up of and, and, and its active ingredients and how, how it actually works so that you can study it further. And maybe you can even add to that. Nice. Yeah, the, I know the skunk is uh, pretty rare here in the States and it's in, uh, definitely in high demand for sure. Um, what, <laughs> is there any other older cultivars that you guys are, are working out there? Well, you know, the, 
the Durban poison is, is a very old South African strain, which, which was exported to the States. And then um, from that, the Americans bred Girl Scout cookies. And um, I see that it's, it's, it's quite a popular strain in, in, in the States and California. I see um, people like Sticky Fields is growing it. Um, so that's, that's interesting that, that, and I was, I was informed by my friend, the strain hunter, that Americans and Canadians are actually very, very hungry for African cultivars that are, are bred onto their original American strains for the diversity. So that's something that, that, that I've been doing as well um, with my friend Simon, the strain hunter, is, is breeding South African genetics onto American and Canadian genetics to see the outcome. And there's some, there's some beautiful results on that. And we, we're talking about um, opening a, a seed company, a cannabis seed company, but we're still in, in, in the early days of the, of the discussion with that. Yeah, no, it sounds like you got quite a bit going on there. Um, uh, so uh, what have, uh, what type of fish are you using? Just tilapia or have you diversified it all on that or thought about any other species yet? Um, I have used, I'm using tilapia at the moment. I use uh, Mozambicus, uh, Albino Mozambicus. And so they're also the orange fish. And I also use red Nile tilapia. I find that the red Nile tilapia are, are very slick very hardworking fish. They, 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 they're fast growing, um, very, very strong fish, uh, very versatile fish. The Mozambicus don't grow as quickly, but they also don't leave as many uh, floating feces. The, the, the red Naltalapa tend to leave a lot more floating feces, which sort of takes longer to, to dissipate through the system. But I don't, I don't see that as a problem. Um, so I do prefer the red Naltalapia. I, I did, uh, uh, to design another system with our consultant for, for rainbow trout. Um, and that, that system, it, it works incredibly well, so it's, especially during the, the winter months when, when tilapia tend to go dormant because we, we don't have um, <coughs> um, coolers or heaters in our systems and we're outdoors. So we be very environmentally um, controlled, naturally so. Um, so we don't have counters for heating and, and cooling yet, but that's certainly something we're looking at for the cannabis. It's something that we have to look at. But the food, it didn't really matter. Um, it just slowed down production in, in winter because everything slowed down because of the coolness. But certainly with the cannabis, we want, we want to set in even growth throughout the year. So we're having to look at, at uh, putting in counters for that. Um, so the, the, the trout worked very well, but also in South Africa, we have um, um, electricity issues with with our power supply Eskom. We have a lot of load shedding going on, and it's 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 very um, interrupted and and very short notice. So everything we have backup generators. We haven't got got over to solar yet. Um, so my point on that was that my trust systems are I actually lost um, all of my fish on three occasions due to to electrical problems. Um, trout are, are very sensitive to to lack of, of, of moving water and, and oxygen. So uh, that happened to me a few times. So then I went back to the tilapia just because they're a lot hardier and a lot more workmanlike and not as finicky. They, 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 they don't die as quickly. If they, they can survive half an hour with, without, without water, the flow and electricity and, and oxygen, whereas trout can only last 10 minutes and, and you lose the whole lot. So they're, they're very volatile. I do prefer working with the trout 
um, because of, of, of their capability of, of working through the winter, but they're a lot more tricky to work with in South Africa because of yeah. our issues. The other species that we figured out um, works pretty well uh, over in Africa and South Africa and when I was up in Zim is um, sharp-toothed catfish. African sharp-toothed catfish are another one that grows pretty fast. It's kind of like a, they're equivalent to like their channel catfish, I guess, for Americans that, that haven't seen them. Yes, that's correct. Our, my consultant, he's actually, he's got a, modu a module working with, with catfish at the moment. And he, he raves about the fish. Uh, you know, for us, for us, the fish are, are merely a, a driver, and uh, we don't actually harvest the fish for ourselves. When when we do harvest fish, it's, it's because of, of of lack of space or overcrowding, and also obviously overcrowding and for ammonia. So we we generally harvest once a year. Um, but apparently, with the catfish, he, he they they're a lot more difficult to work with, and yeah, it's just it's not 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 as pleasant to work with them apparently. But I haven't actually worked with them myself. But apparently, they, they do work very well, and uh, some people also work with them um, in 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 conjunction with with koi. Um, but I haven't I haven't gone that route. I'm, I'm, I prefer to work with one species. I just like to keep it simple because there's so much else going on in in, in the systems, the pH fluctuations and the the yeah all the bacteria and there's so much that you have to keep stable as you're aware of. And everyone's got to be kept happy in the systems. It's your microbes, it's your plants, it's your fish. You try, try and keep a happy medium for for all of those to work together in, in symbiosis. Oh yeah, for sure. And if something gets too far out of whack, it definitely can have issues. Um, what other, what are some of the other crops that you're growing? I see you got lots of different types of lettuce and things like that. Tell us what about some of the other crops that you're growing. Yeah, we've certainly tried everything. Um, I, I did a lot of tomatoes in buckets in, in, in the Dutch buckets. I did cucumbers in the media beds. They prefer the very high nitrogen. So the media beds, obviously where your highest nitrogen levels are on, on point. Um, so I did the, the cucumbers in the media beds, the buckets and tomatoes. I did a lot of herbs and the full range of herbs in my, in my media beds as well. I did find that, that the media beds became rather volatile in, in summer. I found also the fish feces were, were clogging up the stones. We only use the stones as a natural filter and also for oxygenation for the water running, running through the stones um, when, when they're doing the, the, the flood and drain. Um, so I did a lot of herbs in there and, and obviously lettuce and spinach and um, bok choy on, on, on the rafts. Um, but yeah, obviously the biggest driver for, for us was, was the, the lettuce, the tomatoes and, and the cucumbers. Then that was a daily occurrence. We'd harvest those every single day. Um, so we started off with three, with three modules and we had to build up to six modules because of the demand and Obviously, the, the time pressures with growth in winter, we had to we had to obviously build enough systems to keep the, the lettuce going for the for the demand through the slow growing parts of the winter that we are going to be putting in our counters for for the water heating and cooling going forward. So and yeah, it was all herbs. I, I, I looked at other medicinal plants. Um, but you know, we we haven't used the the ceramic balls in in our systems because we were informed that they, they tend to to soak water into the balls and then they they have created a nice little breeding ground for for other bacteria, heterotrophic bacteria in within the balls. 
they're also expensive compared to the stone that we work with and they also float around a bit so we were we were just basically directed towards using a 19 millimeter crushed stone uh, which which is limiting for any kind of a, a tuber so i haven't grown um carrots or, or potatoes and aquaponics i have done radishes they they do work because they're shallow and they, they can actually move it enough to grow although they aren't that perfect round shape but beautiful and, and and the flavors are obviously accentuated um that was one of my selling points for the food in aquaponics is that aquaponics accentuates terpenes and flavors and and food actually tastes like real food um, in comparison to into any other form of grow so you know for me for, for for cannabis too that that highlighted everything for me obviously bringing me down to the terpenes and terpene extraction i assumed because aquaponics accentuates um terpenes and flavors and aromas in food it would certainly do the same with cannabis and it definitely does it definitely bolsters cannabis in every every form and manner so it's extremely exciting uh, for that as well very cool what type of uh, pests have you had to deal with out there in south africa i know our biggest uh, issue was the grasshoppers yeah no we don't have didn't have a grasshopper issue um belgrada bug is a big problem um, leaf miners are a big problem for the tomatoes, aphids and thrips on, on the lettuce. Um, but as, as, as a grower, you know, if, if, if your systems are healthy and your plants are healthy, your invasion is going to be less. Um, and obviously, oh, yeah, we use real RPM, we use the yellow tapes all around the systems. Um, so, yeah, we get all the general pests and obviously the... Um, the fruit fly is, and specifically the cucurbit fruit fly uh, with, with cucumbers is an absolute nightmare um, because we have wild fig trees growing around us. So they, they breed rampantly around us. So they, they come into the systems. And I mean, one, one, one female can, can sting your entire crop in a day, it seemed. <laughs> so it was very difficult with that. But um, cannabis, we don't have so many issues. We obviously have red spider mite, but I'm also introducing um, predator mites into the systems now for the first time so i'm just building up to that now and uh, just cleaning up the systems with um, harmful pests that i have now um, so i'm going to do a, a power oil spray just to go and sort all that out before i do the introduction of the predatory mites so but it's it's progressively going forward as aquaponics is a very progressive um, form of, of, of farming and now with the cannabis too so it's it's, it's we're constantly learning but it's, it's extremely exciting and keeps me going it's wonderful very cool what uh what are some of the you got uh tips and tricks you found along the way for you know your aquaponic systems uh, i noticed you had kind of a different design with your sump tank and your fish tank do you want to tell us a little bit about that because it's kind of different sure it's it um, it's, a, it's a relatively new design, um, so our, our sumps are, consist of a 5,000 litre plastic tank and on the inside of that sump we elevate a 2,500 litre tank uh, on legs so that the, 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 the top of the, of, the, of the sumps actually are aligned and, and level. So we put legs on, on that inner sump, so there's inner sump and outer sump. And 
the outer sun is so you'll see if you, if you ever look at the, at the at the fish the fish house design on on the fish tanks there's a constant siphoning system that that's in place there so that's constantly drawing out the ammonia from the base of the fish tanks and feeding into the main body of the water in the sun so it's continuously diluting the ammonia into that into that outer part of, of the sun so the fish feces and the ammonia goes into the outer part of the sun and it works on a centrifugal force system because the water all flows in one direction and then the feces and the ammonia gets drawn to the middle of and underneath the elevated smaller sun. And then, then there's a pipe there which is attached to the submersible pump which then pumps the ammonia and the fish feces from the center of, of the sun up to, to the media beds on the outside. Now the inner sump is elevated on legs so it's, it's, it's standing above that uh, fish feces and ammonia, which is now working on centrifugal force and being pulled to underneath it, which is being drawn up from that pump to the media bed. So the elevated um, tank is what we call the inner sump. And within that inner sump, there's an, another submersible pump, which feeds up to a T, which feeds out to the left and to the right to supply fish tanks on the left and right hand side of the sump. Um, and so that water that water in, in that middle sump is water that's returned from the DWC. So it's coming back from the DWC, feeds into the middle sump, clean water. It's, it's the water's completely free of nitrogen and ammonia and fish feces coming back from the DWC. So that's water is very clean and it's elevated so it doesn't get um, affected by the ammonia and the fish feces that underneath it. So that water gets pumped directly back to the fish and then that water from the fish tanks gets taken back down through the siphoning system back down to the sump and just continues in that in that cycle. So it separates the, the fish feces and ammonia from the clean water coming back from the DWCs, which gets pumped directly back to the fish. If that makes sense. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, what uh what so type of go ahead. Sorry, Stephen. No, go ahead. I didn't mean to go to Joe. What, um, what type of cannabis products are you making? Are you just selling flour? Are you making hash or edibles? Or what, uh, what are you making out there? Um, yeah, at the moment, we, we only licensed to, to grow cannabis and pack flour and export that flour. Um, things are very slow moving in Africa. So uh, we've, we've also now just been allocated a, a license to do an extraction, but we ourselves personally on the premises may not do the extraction. We have to send the, the trim to a laboratory in Johannesburg who are licensed with SAPRA, who's our, our, our licensing body in this country to do the extract for us and then to convert that into distillate or isolate to be exported. But we may not do the extraction ourselves. So, you know, for ourselves and, and our, you know, on, on, on site, we, we do our own small recreational extract, but nothing commercial as of yet. We're not allowed to at this stage. Uh, what is the, how, how big is your farm? Someone asked in chat. Uh, the, the actual land size is only 25 hectares. Um, 
and under under aquaponics we are under 18 1800 square meters under aquaponics and as 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 soon as we get the aquaponics and the cannabis working well together we're going to expand on the aquaponics as we're on aquaponics license so we want to expand on that and, and become purely aquaponics cannabis based this is the, the big picture idea well uh i'll definitely have to help you out with that um, yes you will please Stephen. <laughs> uh, somebody asked in chat uh, export question mark yes we, we we might only export our cannabis we we there's it's not open um to any kind of local sales or anything local um i do believe it'll open up in the next couple of years for recreational but until then we're very limited as to what we can do with the cannabis so what what countries are currently uh are you exporting to i guess maybe that's the better uh, question yeah, we we going into into Europe at the moment, but only small amounts. But our biggest offtake at the moment is to Australia. Okay. Yeah, a lot of companies uh, when I was over in Africa were exporting to Australia, and then from there, it was, a lot of times it was headed back to to Europe just because of the way that the laws work, or uh, or staying in Australia depending on where where it is. But uh, yeah, definitely interesting to see things taking off, man. Um, uh, what what. Um, let me look here at some of the other questions uh, we have in chat so far. Um, are these tanks or silo rims what makes up the watertight bottom? <laughs> the, the DWCs or the actual sun? The DWCs are made up of a of a tarpaulin, the kind of tarpaulin that you would use on 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 um, long distance trucks to cover that the 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 um, their load so they they water they they water tight and then we just they, they liners that fit into a, a brick a brick based um foundation and then we fill that with the water and the fish tanks are, are basically just um plastic tanks that have been made up um by a water tank company that that have now patent for the components for aquaponics for a lot of you guys that don't know in uh, south africa a lot of times too uh, the other way that they'll do these is in fact you know what i forgot i got a whole video on it i'll just show you guys uh, but they in, in south africa they have these temporary swimming pools uh that they use a lot uh as mm. well that make really good fish tanks i'm sure you know what i'm talking about yes yeah let me pull up the video from zim real quick just to show that design um, they use those. They use those a lot in aquaculture in South Africa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you ever used a product called Biodyne? Biodyne. Yes, I, I've heard of it. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm using that in my systems now recently, and I'm I'm seeing a, a marked improvement in my water quality and and clarity. It's I just wanted to mention that because I always felt that I was lacking something in my biology. Um, I always just had a sense of, of, of murkiness. Uh, it wasn't that the water wasn't clear, but I always had excess floaters of, of fish feces and too much algae on the sides of the rafts and algae build up on the airlines and, and also the air stones. But now that I've added the biodine, and this is not a marketing ploy, it's just something that I'd like to share with you because it's, it's just it's cleaned up everything. It's, it's cleaned up my air stones, my air lines, the, the biofilm even on the inside of my pipes. It's, it's cleaned up that there's, there's additional microbes 
that seem to work very well with, with, with the microbes and aquaponics. And I haven't studied it. I've, I've just added it to see what the difference is. And I also added it to see if it would make a difference to the, to the arsenic, unknowing that I was adding arsenic. But I just wanted to add that it's, it's actually made a, a huge difference to, to the quality of, of the plants in, in my system as well. So that's why I just wanted to ask you that question, Stephen. So this is a, a micronutrient blend uh, of microbes. I'm not, not micronutrient, a microorganism blend. I'm sorry, it's been a long day. Uh, microorganism blend. So um, uh, this is, would take the place of something similar to like an IMO, maybe not quite as diverse, but um, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see a lot of the different um, uh, microbial blends doing amazing things. We've often talked about uh, other products like Mammoth Pea, which I grow Sentia, I or CERTA just got a license in South Africa, I believe, uh, or if they weren't, I know they were talking about it when I was over there. Um, but I know that other uh, phosphorus chelating microbes make an enormous difference in aquaponics as much as 30 or more percent um, in terms of just, you know, eliminating any need for phosphorus and, and heavy flowering plants if you have the right microbial complexes. Um, but a lot of the uh, other micro microbes can have a, a wonderful benefit to the plant. And hey, if you found a good mix that that works well for your stuff, then, then by all means. Um, uh, we also talk about often on, on using Korean natural farming methods to kind of supplement, you know, some of the missing diversity that even some of these wonderful products, you know, still do have. Um, you can help fill in those extra gaps just by collecting those microbes on your own property. In fact, that uh, uh, South Africa is, or Zimbabwe is where uh, I, I started testing some of that IPMO that Chris talks about, which is um, uh, indigenous predatory microorganisms. Uh, so, um, uh, basically, you make a, a traditional IMO and replace 30% of the rice with insect frass and or insect corpses, which is more ideal of your target yeah. insect, and then mix yeah. that together, put it out into the field and collect that. Uh, and you can you can use that as well for, for pest management. So, um, you know, it, there, there's all different types of wonderful things with the microbials. And that really is the area of research that aquaponics truly needs more of is, is hey, what is the, uh, the aquatic food web? And how does that relate to terrestrial plants for maximum commercial production of, you know, all different types of plants? And we, we and and you know this. Any anyone that uh, has grown in aquaponics knows it tastes better. The terpene and flavonoid expression is dramatically increased in, in aquaponics, and and we can directly see that map and map it out with cannabis. You know, we have to test all of our stuff, which is nice because it helps us map out a lot of these. Uh, precursors and what exact nutrient ratios need to be for maximizing and microbial uh, uh, families need to be present to maximize a lot of these secondary plant production. And that, that applies not only to cannabis, but to other essential oil producing crops of value. You know, anything else that's going to produce, you know, lavender, linalool, or, uh, you know, anything else that's out there that's going to produce uh, a valuable compound. Hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely, and, and, um, and my consultant is actually doing a lot of work with the University of, of Rhodes in, in Grahamstown, and actually actually digging deeper in, into the understanding of, of the microbes in aquaponics, um, because it's all fine and well to say the microbes do this and that, but they need to now pinpoint what microbes do what, and this is the work that they're doing now, and I'm gonna learn a great deal from them, from that, that study too, I'm sure. Very cool. But, uh, is there any uh, other microbial uh, secrets that you figured out? Uh, obviously, we, we can say that this is definitely a win with the. Uh, I haven't. I haven't, Stephen. Just, just, just the, the just the biodine. 
I'm very excited about the Bahrain because I, I can I can visibly see the the vast difference it's it's made. The, the, the additional microbes to the biology in my systems is, is just fascinating. So I'm re I really am elated about that. That's why I just wanted to bring it up to you. Is it the 401 that you're, that you're it's, Yes, it's the 401 and the 301 as well. I'm also using it on, on in my worm teas. Um, you know, I was making worm teas all along and adding worm teas to my systems, but I, I've been using all of the all of the the waste from from the aquaponics to add to my worm worm farms. And obviously, I've been collecting PM PM in there as well, so putting PM back into the system. So now we've discovered a. a sort of a, a double fermentation process to, to get rid of, of that powdery mildew. But I'm also, the, the, the biodine is certainly helping in the worm teas as well. So I don't want to go on too much about the biodine, but it's certainly helping me. So that's why I'm talking about it so much. Sure. Here's the other one he was talking about. Um, uh, lactobacillus, that same stuff that we were talking about before, uh, yes. uh, is another great way that you can apply as a foliar in order to uh, consume powdery mildew. It's one of the best things that you can make and spray on your plants as far as knocking it back. It, it, it does an incredibly good job. And in fact, I would go as so far to say if you're growing cucumbers, tomatoes, pumpkins, or not, you know, even tomatoes too, but cucumbers, squash, or, um, uh, or anything like that, uh, you want to definitely use it because those plants are much more susceptible to powdery mildew. And um, you know, it, it really does a good job. That and silica, making sure you're dosing silica and keeping that maintained. Do you not find that silica has a tendency to burn in, in, in your systems or not? It, it depends on the rock that you're using, but generally we find that um, it, it usually needs to be dosed, but we usually do that through our pH up regimen if it's a non-organic certified system. Uh, mm. We'll use potassium silicate and calcium carbonate as our uh, alternating pH up. Uh, and then if it's an organically certified system, you can use that potassium silicate as a foliar spray. Uh, not that I like to use it for that, but it does work pretty well as, an, uh, as well as for powdery mildew, which was the other thing I was gonna circle it back on is that um, uh, potassium silicate as a foliar spray works really good for PM as well. Great, excellent. I see that uh, a lot of advertising going on on Instagram about an American product called Dr. Zahn's. And I'm assuming that that's just a combination of everything that you've just discussed now. Uh, no, Dr. Zymes is a uh, citric acid and potassium um, something or other based. It's not silicate. Someone in chat, I'm sure, can correct me on it. Potassium something or other. I can't remember the okay. name of it, but um, uh, I, it works really good for PM. I have yeah. not found that it works very well at all for insects. Uh, I have okay. tried a wider, wide range of stuff. Now, um, I will definitely talk to you offline. I have a whole spreadsheet of uh, uh, beneficial insects for South Africa and where to source them from. Uh, that'll Wonderful. Help life a lot easier. Um, but uh, uh, there's lots. Of, uh, South Africa is really blessed. Uh, that there's uh, Egypt, South Africa, and Kenya and Nigeria are the only countries that I'm aware of in Africa that produce beneficial insects that you can buy for agriculture. Everywhere else has to import them uh, or, you know, figure it out. So um, yeah. South Africa is is one of the bio bees there. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember who else is there. There's there's three or four uh, beneficial insect companies that are actually based in South Africa that you can you can utilize. So um, you're you're yeah. lucky in that regard. Yeah, I'm about to start that. That's going to be very exciting as well. 
great. What uh, what questions did you have about aquaponics? Is there anything that we can help answer for you? <clears throat> Not off the cuff, Stephen. I, the, the the biggest question, which was it's been a burning question, was was the arsenic and where it was coming from. You know, we were, everything was biological. We were picking up the, the the worst heavy metal that that we could perceive. So that that was the biggest biggest problem that I've been I've been having and. Now I've pulled back completely on that now, and I'm running the systems purely aquaponically to see the difference. So you'll be the first man to know the, the difference, and I'm very grateful for that. Thank you very much. Um, I don't really have any other questions at, at the moment that I can think of. Yeah, the, um, that's something that I've seen at a couple of different farms uh, in Oklahoma as well for people that there, there was people that were told to just to kind of go balls to the wall, maxi crop with iron. Uh, and then they were also dosing other forms of kelp or, um, you know, just dosing crazy amounts because they were using that as just the iron source, which can get you into trouble because it's not meant to do that. That's not what that mm. product is meant for. Uh, so, um, uh, and in cannabis, you know, stuff, cannabis in particular will bioaccumulate these heavy metals much easier. And then with the more acidic solution, especially if your pH drifts down more, uh, to the lower end of the aquaponic range, uh, you know, uh, down closer to six, it definitely increases the uptake of those as well. Um, but we've, uh, in almost every case, uh, ran it back to either a kelp extract and excess use of it, or in one other case, there was a, a media bed um, where the, the gravel was very high in heavy metal, and we were able to trace it back to that after doing some additional testing, but um, because nothing else was showing you know, they, they weren't using kelp and they weren't, you know, doing anything else. And we managed to figure out, oh, it was this fine aggregate. There's a couple of companies that are using it in, in, in Oklahoma. And I don't really understand why um, that is this real fine aggregate that it's, you know, great if you're going to put it for a walkway or something, but you shouldn't use it as a media. Uh, if you are looking for a cheap rock to use for it, and I'm, I'm, I know that you can get it in South Africa as well, uh, lava rock is great for it. And, and uh, you were talking earlier about the, the the clay having those porous spaces for, for bacteria. Um, those mm. porous spaces for bacteria are actually a good thing. We, we want those bacteria to harbor and, um, and be able to mineralize that fish waste uh, as well. Um, uh, in order to help break it down and have you know all that stuff happen and then um yeah so uh that can definitely be beneficial um i know that uh uh as long as you're it doesn't really matter what you're using as long as it is that um the media beds um are uh not leaching anything so as long as the rock is pretty inert then it doesn't really matter but um it, you can yeah. get a little bit of extra benefit for more porous stone sure and the, the Stephen, just yeah, is, there is a question you you mentioned that the pH of six. I mean, I'm, I'm running my pH as, as close to six as I can because that's what cannabis prefers. But you say it's, it's also, it, it, it takes up heavy metals at, at that pH. So, um, you do, just, you run, do you, what do you run your systems at? Sure. So it, it, it's not that it causes that problem. It just will increase mm. it if they're present, right? So it's going sure. to help make it easier. Um, but yeah. ideally, we run it between 6.4 and 6.8. You know, if we're trying to hold it, you know, perfectly, 6.6 .6 is the number that we're aiming for. Um, but that's that's really the number that the most amount of nutrients are bioavailable and, and then also still happy for the fish. Uh, the tilapia really would prefer to have it higher than that. Um, but, uh, you know, who cares? Tilapia will grow in a trash can. <laughs> so it doesn't really matter. Great. <laughs> yeah. um, we had and, and your, sorry, 
your your thoughts on mon on monocropping and, and aquaponics? Do you see that as as, as a problem going forward? No, I, I I don't see any issues with that. I do think that there's a slight benefit to having some additional ones or having like some auxiliary um, lettuce beds that especially if you're going to run the same system in flower, being able to bring those systems online to act as a nitrogen sponge to pull those nitrates down because those lettuce varietals do not um, you know, lettuce doesn't pull much of those other nutrients, right? They, they mainly to pull nitrogen. So you, what you can do is have separate beds that you just bring online uh, as those uh, ones are coming uh, uh, coming on uh, into flower. You just switch a couple. That's how I plumb all my stuff. Uh, we, we just switch it so that I can redirect uh, multiple beds and any bed to fish tank. And then you can say, okay, cool. Well, I want to bring on a couple DWC beds of lettuce to suck this nitrogen down and bring the, you know, make sure that we don't have nitrogen problems going into flower. Uh, and it makes it so that you don't have to lift anything or do anything really, you just move a couple valves. Uh, but that can be a great <laughs> way to sponge it off. And, and uh, the, other th uh, the other thing too is, I'm a big fan of dual root zone pots. So we do companion planting in the top of the dual root zone plots, um, just in order to have additional microbial stimuli. And the idea with that is to increase um, the um, terpenes, right? The, the more beneficial microbes I have in the root system, the more terpene expression I'm going to have. And cannabis only hosts a handful of mycorrhizae. Lots of other plants host many other species, but those mycorrhizae will happily inter in, in, uh, interchange um, uh, nutrients as well as um, you know other compounds that help stimulate that plant. So by having a couple of extra plants in there, uh, uh, just in the root system that aren't going to, you know, totally drain, you know, the uh, the nutrients away or, or become parasitic, uh, can be actually beneficial to the terpene expression of the plant, um, uh, and that's really where the kind of the myth of the whole planting with uh, other plants comes from, um, or the the whole Kyle Cushman strawberry patch thing. Um, strawberries are highly mycorrhizal, so that makes sense in that regard, <laughs> but it's not exchanging DNA. Um, which no. originally claimed, uh, but uh, uh, <laughs> we we like to joke about that on the show. But but strawberries actually have quite a diverse mycorrhizal fungi um, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, species uh, they're associated with. So by having those additional mycorrhizal fungi species, you can actually um, uh, stimulate that plant's immune system more. The same way that like we've talked about before, terpenes are an expression of the plant's immune system, um, and we want to stimulate in as many non-pathogenic ways as possible. So exposing the roots to as many non-pathogenic microbes that are going to, you know, benefit the plant is the best way to do that. That's fascinating. It's fascinating what you just said, how to draw the, the, uh, the nitrogen with the lettuce. That's, I, I didn't think about that. That's fascinating because I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that I'm having to actually monitor, monitor my, my nutrition at, at different intervals of, of the grow, which I, I never had to do with the food, but I'm certainly having to do it with the cannabis. <clears throat> so it's fascinating that I, I can, I didn't think about drawing off the, the, the nitrogen. I was, I was thinking about pulling right back on, on the fish food at flowering to in, increase mineralization, but I, I would still have more nitrification going on, if not as much as, as usual by pulling back on the feed. But it's, it's fascinating that I can actually draw off more nitrogen with the lettuce like that. I didn't think about it like that. It's, it's fascinating. Thank you, Stephen. Watercress is another really great one if you want something that you can just throw the seeds in the bed and it'll explode with growth. 
and just suck down nitrogen. That's another really good one as well, just as a, as a sponge. And it, it, the resale value on it, especially if you're in an area, you know, British people love spicy greens like that. So um, yeah. that's that's a, a really good one that should be easy to resell. Um, but this mm -hmm. is the, just to jump back to the previous topic, you have your terrestrial microbes in the microbiome up here and the aquatic microbes and microbiome down here. So we're able to kind of get, you know, double up on the different species because stuff that breaks down minerals up here is different than down here. So while you will have to top water, even if you automate that, um, uh, just to keep these maintained moisture wise, um, uh, uh, it, it works extremely well. This water also goes down and then back up, which works like a diaphragm, which sucks fresh air down through the top of the soil and then forces that air back out, creating a really highly oxygenated zone in the root system and uh, you know, preventing problems as well as accelerating growth. You know, we get enormous accelerations in growth when everything is dialed in. It's fascinating, really fascinating. I can see I'm gonna learn a lot, a great deal from you, Stephen, and your, your, groups, your group sessions. It's, it's really fascinating. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Heck yeah. Uh, uh, if you need to get going, man, I, I don't mean to, to hold you any longer, but uh, if, you're, if you're wanting to stay, you're more than welcome to. No, that's fine. I'm, I'm hundreds. I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable where I am. Thank okay. you. Okay, just making sure. Um, uh, <laughs> let's see if what other questions we have here. Uh, um, uh, what unique varieties uh, are you looking forward to growing that maybe you haven't grown yet that are from Africa, or is there ones that maybe you haven't quite popped the beans yet because you want to make sure you got everything dialed in first or anything? I know I, for one, am super excited about that. Uh, that skunk number one, I think uh, that and probably half the people listening. Yeah, that's that skunk number one is, is it, it originates back to the early 80s. And um, there's there's a whole discussion going on um, at the moment on, on YouTube with um, uh, a guy called Blue Skies Vienna Skunk and Old School Chronic. And Old School Chronic is, is based in America and Blue Skies Vienna Skunk is based in the UK and they, they both, they're both working with old school genetics and they, they on YouTube, they're having a discussion about the skunk and the roadkill skunk and the old school genetics. And it's fascinating. I've actually um, acquired myself some of the roadkill skunk seeds from Blue Skies Vienna skunk and I'm about to pop them. But they, 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 they're more roadkill skunk apparently from what I'm seeing all over Instagram. Um, and he's pushing it very strongly and the, the, the seeds are, or the genetics are in America and Canada, Canada, they're all over the world at the moment. So it's a, it's a great collaboration of growers um, working with this guy's genetics. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm keen to pop them in to see what, what, they, what they have in their terpenes, they're apparently a broad spectrum of terpenes. And then I'd like to breed um, selections of the, of that roadkill skunk to the skunk number one. This this skunk number one is is it's a very popular brand uh, uh, strain. Sorry, but it's also been um, tagged as being a, a cause of sarcosis in the UK because of its strength. But I, that doesn't seem to make sense to me because you get a lot stronger strains coming out of the states and Canada, where the skunk number one only goes to about twenty six percent THC at its ultimate. Um, you're getting you're getting much higher THC counts from from American strains and and Canadian strains. So I'm not too sure about that sarcosis part. 
but the, the 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 terpenes and the flavors on on the skunk number one are incredible you you do get a, a slight a skunky whiff but you also get a fruity flavor and so it's also it's also been nicknamed exodus cheese um so it's skunk number one exodus cheese um and and there are many seed companies who've made their own exodus cheese but it's not this particular one this this is a particular original cut from the skunk number one mother from the early 80s and i'm, I'm very privileged to have it she's a very easy plant to work with she's very versatile she's adapted to the climate on, on the coast here and she just produces beautiful flower and consistently beautiful flower so I've, <clears throat> she's also adapted to the, the humidity on, on the coastline so it's certainly a product that the strain I'm going to go work with forward going forward and I'm going to breed it to the, to the skunk um, that I've got from Blue Skies Vienna skunk. So skunk, skunk's making a big comeback and people are trying to find it um, but I'm seeing you know the, um, old school chronic as well in the states he's he's now selling seeds on, on in, in Instagram called red hair skunk so there are certainly lots of derivatives of, of skunk all over the world but that roadkill skunk is the one that everyone's looking for and hopefully everyone's getting it now so it's it's very exciting very cool uh, uh so uh what uh how have you liked your dutch buckets i know a lot of people um haven't kind of seen an aquaponics setup quite like that before in fact let me throw that back up because your, your setup's super cool i'd love for you to kind of walk us through this because it's it's quite the unique, uh, unique setup here. Yeah, the Dutch, the Dutch buckets are for me the, the safest and and less and less least volatile um, growing medium in the aquaponics. Uh, because of the the buckets are are, are, are pulsating and working off um, the bell siphon as as the media beds do, it's very regulated and you you have a small small submersible pump at, at the at the start of your dwc where the water comes in highly nitrogenated and so that water that's being pulled on into that pulse pulsate is full of nutrients so it, it, that bucket of 20 liters when when the the, the bell siphon releases the water and it, it it drains out supplies 10 buckets of half a liter every four minutes because that's how long it takes for that, that bucket to fill up again for the bell siphon to release so every four minutes it's being pulsed half a liter on 10 buckets so the pulse status are situated to, to supply 10 10 buckets each so we have them split along along the lines as as they go and you can see in that that, that picture that's how the bell siphon works and it's obviously elevated so it all works off gravity so it's very economical and very safe and the 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 only problem that, that I have with the Dutch buckets is the outlets to, to the runoff um, pipes sometimes get blocked by roots, certainly tomato roots. And I've had a couple of cannabis roots also finding their way into there, but easily, easily to, to, um, to unblock. You just pull the bucket out of the, the grommet and pull the root out and put it back in and it flows again. So very safe, very easy to use. And the, the cannabis, and the tomatoes love the Dutch buckets. It's it's very very effective. Awesome, yeah. I just I hadn't seen that particular layout or design before. I just thought it was interesting with the the vertical flood and drain like that with the bell siphons. Yeah, they very they work very well, Stephen. They're very neat and effective. 
So how many how many of those um, does that one bucket feed? That one bucket feeds feeds ten bucket ten buckets. So five buckets on either side of it in a line, and then so then I have another pulsator every every five buckets further down the line. So they feed ten ten buckets each every four minutes. That's super cool. Very, very cool, and it pr provides a nice, safe grow area, and it, it, it adds grow areas to your to your systems. Very effective grow areas. Yeah, it's definitely a different design. That, that's really nifty. What um What are some of the other unique challenges you found uh, growing in South Africa compared to you know what you've seen? Well, the electricity is a big thing for us. Um, water, water quality is another big thing. We, we try and catch as much rainwater as we can, but we're also going through a, a very harsh drought here. So we're very reliant on the, on the RO systems. Um, those are basically our biggest challenges is the water quality and, and electricity. So we will be changing over to solar um, in, 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 in a short period of time soon. We'll be turning over to solar because we just, it's very difficult to run aquaponics on on irregular electricity supply. Do you want to do you want to touch on that? Because I think a lot of Americans, especially, don't know how advanced Africa's gotten on solar. It certainly was. Well, we, yeah, we've been forced to. Um, Zimbabwe were pretty much the the, the leaders um, because they they the electricity supply just collapsed. So. And they were they were on on load shedding for like 18 hours or 24 a day so they had to they had to change over and, and pretty much zimbabwe are all self-reliant now and that, that's the way africa's having to go to be self-reliant and um, eskin our, our supply um, is also collapsing uh, due to corruption and 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 just um no maintenance on the system so we've been forced to change over and the, the government has has regulated power supplies but now Eventually, now they're opening it up to to private um, power suppliers to to push more power into the grid. But we're certainly being forced to to create our own power going forward now. And it's not a bad thing um, because for, certainly for aquaponics, and if we're going to upscale, we we need to have consistent um, electricity supply, and it's not reliable in this country. So water and elect electricity are, are our biggest challenges, and labor labor is another challenge. In, in, in Africa, but um, <clears throat> having labor. aquaponics now, labor labor becomes very insignificant. And I also wanted to point out, uh, you had a, a woman working in your, your greenhouse. Uh, most of the more skilled farmers in Africa, uh, at least certainly in, in Zimbabwe, are the women. You see the women out there working the fields and, and knowing all the plant knowledge uh, far more than a lot of the men in Africa. Yes, that's it. That's that. That's right. And especially with cannabis, you know, the, traditionally, cannabis and 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 beer have have been um, the responsibility of, of women in, in the country. They've had to take care of the cannabis crops and also make the, the indigenous beer for for their men. So that that's been their role, where the men have been tending the herds of, of cattle and sheep and goats. So traditionally, that's a, the cannabis plant is, is is a woman's domain. So certainly I'd, I'd like to train up some more women. And there is a, a, a cannabis academy that's just been opened up in the Transvaal. And there are some women going into that academy. And I've asked them to feed some of their graduates into my, my, my facility so I can train them up. Because 
there aren't many women cannabis growers and certainly aquaponic growers, there, there aren't any that I know of either. So something to look forward to in the future as well. Uh, is there any particular lettuce varietals that you've kind of settled on for your climate there? Um, or is there any maybe uh, crops as well that Americans or, or Westerners haven't uh, heard of as much uh, as far as uh, that they might not be familiar with? I know South Africa has all different types of brassicas that are different and, and you guys have some different nightshades as black <laughs> and some other cool stuff. Uh, is there anything like that that you're growing that's maybe more traditional? Well, there is, I've, I've certainly tried, um, there's, there's a succulent called skeletium, which is used by the traditional um, witch doctors and, and medicine people in, in South Africa. And it's become a, a commercially viable tea. They make it into a tea, skeletium tea, and it's quite yeah. a relaxing herb, yeah. A lot of Americans know it as kana. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so so that, that works very well on, on the media beds and creates a nice cover and the flowers. So I've done that. Um, but otherwise, I haven't done anything else besides really the herbs and, and the food and now, now the cannabis. So, but I, I'd like to diversify and try things. I'd also like to, to be able to grow um, products that, that could feed Africa, like, like carbohydrates, potatoes, um, cabbages. Like you see, I'm very proud of that cabbage that, that you've got in that one clip. That, that cabbage, it's, it's, it's taken a long time to grow, so it's not, not economically viable for aquaponics. But it's, it's impressive that it has grown so beautifully and, and created such a big head. I'm very proud of it. It's, it's just a cabbage, but it's, 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 and, and it's flawless. There's, there's no insect damage on it. It's, it's just an incredible piece of, of vegetable that, that's so organic. I'd love to be able to grow um, foods that, that, that could aid um, nutrition in, in, in Africa because Aquaponics at the moment in South Africa is basically all derived for, for, for greens and, and tomatoes and cucumbers, but not, not for, the, for the African people themselves who require more food like, like cabbages and potatoes for, for their diet. Awesome. Um, is there any crops that you haven't grown yet uh, that you want to get into aside from cannabis that maybe you just... Uh, I've been focused on other things. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm determined to grow tubers in aquaponics, but I've, I just haven't done it successfully. And, but I, I see that you've done it very successfully. So, yeah, I'd like to do tubers to 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 go forward, certainly, and and and, and scale up to to do production on on a large scale of of food as well. Yeah, you can in aquaponics. do you can do all kinds of root crops. The, the trick with them is to do wicking beds or, or uh, take your media beds and then use cloth pots like the smart pots or the, the fabric pots and then put your mm -hmm. soil in that and then stick the very uh, bottom of it just at the top of your flood and drain layer. So that it kind of kisses the bottom when it fully floods for just a minute or two uh, and then goes back yes. down. And that is the how you can set up a bunch of root crops in your beds. So you can grow carrots and potatoes or turnips or whatever it is that you want to grow in your soil and then they'll actually have that even exterior pressure like you're talking about so they'll form properly so they look nice for the farmer's market same thing with ginger um, another one yeah ginger is a ginger is a big thing ginger is a very big thing people we are growing it but but with difficulty because we're putting it in the stone so it, it doesn't grow very easily but it, it, it does it it wants to grow in aquaponics but it just hasn't been given the right medium yet 
Oh yeah. Yeah. You switch that to a, a lighter media, like a peat or a cocoa or a, uh, a soil mix that's just more aerated and, and fluffy, uh, like a perlite and soil mix. Uh, it works really yeah. well. Or even perlite and like um, we were using uh, experimenting with like crushed moringa pods, and they were like baking them and making them into like these little, basically kind of like a cocoa coir equivalent because it's mm -hmm. super fibrous in a similar way, uh, and they were making like a moringa coir. Uh, it was one of the things we were kind of screwing around with in Jamaica, but might be something else that would work well for where you are because Moringa grows like wildfire there. Yeah, it's fascinating. You, you've done a lot of traveling and, and it's, very, it's fascinating what, you, what you've learned on your travels. It always amazes me how uh, a lot of the uh, uh, African traditions are alive and well, both in Jamaica and in uh, you know, still in Africa as far as farming and then how much a lot of that lines up with like Korean natural farming and, and a lot of the other stuff. If you actually look at the microbial species that they're harvesting um, or, or the, you know, the base methodology, a lot of times it's super similar, but it was developed, you know, opposite sides of the planet. That's something that really fascinates me. Yeah, it's very fascinating. Excellent. So how was it to get uh, your licensing and stuff like that down there in South Africa? Yeah, it was it was very difficult. Um, so <laughs> it, it it took us eighteen months to actually get the license, and and the the whole the, the whole compliance issue um, we weren't used to. So it took us it took us a few months to get used to compliance, but now we're very compliant. And when the the, the funny part was when the inspectors came to to inspect the facility. Um, to to give it approval or not, and they'd never seen an aquaponic system in their lives, and and they they obviously the the local people who, who never heard of aquaponics. So when they arrived, they're like, "What is this aquaponics?" So we walk them into the system, and they they see the beautiful lettuce and the cucumbers and the tomatoes, and they're like, "Okay, um, where's the soil? How does this work?" And they said, "No, there's no soil," and then they started to eat the fruit off the off the 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 tomato vines and they, they couldn't believe that this delicious tomato which the juice and pips running down their, their faces and their throats and they were just they were they were blown away by the flavors and and the the color and just the, everything about the, the tomatoes and the cucumbers they, they couldn't believe that this was being grown out of out of stone and just water so that that to them was 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 mind blowing, and they couldn't understand how cannabis was going to be growing this way. So I had to show them the trials that I had done, and it was fascinating to see their reaction. So that that was intriguing, and but you know after the inspection, they went back and they obviously spoke to their peers about it. And about two months after the inspection, they phoned us and they asked us for quotes and designs because they're fascinated. They want to get get their own systems up and running now. So. It really is quite addictive aquaponics when you see a system working beautifully and, and how everything looks so beautiful and crisp and clean it really is um addictive it, it just draws you in and just you can't get away from it once you're in it absolutely plus you know the once it's set up right like you can go away for the weekend as long as someone's there to feed the fish you're all right like you don't have to worry about having to hover over your plants quite so much like a lot of these other people do you know, Marty and I were yeah. joking about that the other night. They were like, oh, I'm going to go away for like three or four days. And my buddy was like, how can you do that during growth season? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, how are you a slave to your garden? 
(laughs) Obviously, you know, when you're farming, you're working, you know, 16, 18 hour days, seven days a week. But once in a while, you need to get off the farm, you know, for your own sanity. Yeah, you do. But I can't, I can't, um, not not from the fish feeding point of view, but because of of the, the power supply. Until I'm up to running with solar, I really can't leave the premises. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, I, having lived in Zim, understand understand that completely. The uh, Zesa uh, used to give us power from uh, 11 p.m. to to 5 a.m. and anything outside of that was uh, we were to feel lucky. So yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have to deal with any, uh, you know, creatures that we don't have to deal with here? Uh, I know that we had occasionally kudu that would come into the field. Uh, do you yeah. deal with that or? No, it's sometimes some rabbits eat the lettuce. Sometimes some small antelope will go into the systems and eat lettuce. You'll come there, you'll see like half a raft of lettuce is gone. But on, on the rare occasion, especially now with the electric fencing all around the facility, we don't have issues really now. But yeah, I've had snakes in the systems. I've had some tortoises. Oh. Uh, I've had, I've had some big toads. Toads. I love the toads because they come into the systems when the crickets are abundant, and because the, the crickets, they love aquaponics. And then crickets, actually, they can hold their breath for five minutes. They can go underneath the raft, and they can go and eat the roots and come back up and and breathe again and then go back after a, a bit of a breather to eat. So, I welcome the toads because they eat the crickets. So we try and keep it biological as much as we can, but yeah, no, nothing, nothing, nothing too intriguing other than the snakes and toads. I was gonna say you can keep your frogmen crickets over there. I don't want them on this. I don't want to have to deal with that. But uh, <laughs> tell everybody about the species of snakes you have there, because we had uh, all kinds of fun ones in Zim. I'm sure you have all kinds of fun ones there. Yeah, we have highly venomous snakes um, on the property. We have lots of puff adders which I'd say probably the easiest comparison in America would be a rattle, rattlesnake. It's probably as venomous um, as nasty, but probably a lot lazier. It's, it's a black and yellow snake and it, it doesn't move. So you, you, can, you can stand in it and, and it won't move, it'll just bite you. But they're very camouflaged as well. So they, they, they're a nasty snake and they cause gangrene. So there's that one and then there's the Cape Cobra which comes in all sorts of different colors and shades and they get they get very big up to two and a half meters big that's big um so those are the two biggest ones and the wrinkles which is a, a, a black and orange snake and uh, it's a nasty snake because it, it actually spits venom and it also acts dead it like lies upside down so children go to it and think it's a dead snake but it actually it's alive and well and bites them also a venomous snake. And then um, up in, in KwaZulu-Natal, uh, they get the, 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 the green and the black mambas, which are extremely venomous, the most venomous snake in the world. But we don't get them down here, fortunately. So, and then we also have a lot of domestic snakes as well, which are harmless, the grass snakes, the house snakes. But yeah, they're all, they're all part of the, the biological system in Africa. Do, uh, do you deal with boom slangs or the twig snakes or anything like that there? Yeah, I get lots of lots of boom slangs here. Um, so I've read love birds as well. So I've got a lot of birds around my, my house here. So the, yeah, the boom slangs come, but they they're not they're, they're not aggressive snakes. They're beautiful snakes. Um, a very small mouth, but they have got the back fangs, so they'd have to really open their mouth to bite you. But if they do bite you, you you are in trouble. But 
it's very, very, very rare that they actually bite you. But they, they're lovely snakes. They, they get very big as well. The color on them is so amazing. If you guys aren't familiar with boom slangs, uh, let me find a pretty one. They can be like <laughs> Yeah, they're they're really pretty. If you ever are in Africa and you, you're in uh, Harare, they have a, a pretty big reptile zoo there. Mm. Anyways, I was trying to find a picture of it, but these are all just the green ones. Here's one. We also have, we also have some game reserves around us, so that sometimes the, the lion escaped and you find the lion on the road in the morning, or you'd find a hippo on the beach that that escaped from from the game reserve that came down the river. And we find them on the beach in the morning. But yeah, very rare occurrences. But yeah, sometimes you do find that. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful snakes. Oh yeah. I love snakes, man. That that part of the world I had a field day when I was over there and uh well, I definitely would love to go back sometime and, and see some more. Yes, you must please come and see us at the same time. <laughs> Hell yeah. I think I think it's a plan. Um, Excellent. <laughs> what uh, what other is there any other kind of uh, unique things? Uh, you talked a little bit about um, the crickets and stuff. Do you kind of what are the different insect seasons that you have there? I know in Jamaica we had butterfly season in May, and other areas. You know, in the U.S. we have you know uh, uh, the butter. You know, our moth season. I know tobacco budworms or and and tent worms. Both are just starting yeah. here. Well, where we are, we don't really have. Um, infestations like in the Karoo you'll get the the locust outbreaks and they have like swarms of locusts and they, they take out entire plantations but we don't get that down here we just get the normal the, the small insect issues like you do the aphids and the thrips um the Balgruda bug is a, is a problem we have down here it, it eats all the, the the cabbage and broccoli family but it devours them and then um there's there's a leaf miner as well which devours tomato crops it's, it's a, a north african it's called a tutor leaf miner and it, it it it'll devour everything on on your tomato vine the leaves the flowers the fruit you'll just come there it'll happen in a matter of three days it'll devour your entire crop in three days and decimate it and that's north african um miner that we have here which is a big problem for tomato farmers that's that's probably the biggest problem we have um, with with crop infestation, and then obviously if if spider mite gets breaks loose in in the system, that's a problem. But you know I, I find using real RPM product um, prevents any kind of infestation. So um, we're lucky that that we have access to the real RPM products, and also you know aquaponics being a biological system has its own antibodies and its own own mechanisms to fight off bugs and to keep the plants healthy if, if your systems are healthy your plants are healthy you you won't you shouldn't have um, infestations very cool we're just looking at some more pictures of your farm here um, is there anything uh, i guess in these pictures that you want to tell us about or anything else that's maybe unique or interesting that uh you'd like me to pull up in regards well, just to the, the one thing, the one thing that I, that I have I haven't mentioned is is we get we get bloodworm in in South Africa. I don't know if you have the problem in in the states, but in our in our water tanks, 
we get we get their little like red larvae. They look like little worms, yep. and they call them blood worms. And yep. do you get do you get them in the states? Yep. And they they cause untold problems in aquaponics because they 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 they, they just continue to breed. And, and once they're in your system, you really can't get them out. If you lift up your rafts, your roots are covered in them. Your systems are they just they're just boiling in there. So you and can get uh, them out. You can use different organic deworming agents to to knock them out. Uh, there's a couple of different ways that you can go about it. Um, oh, really? Yep. That's fascinating. Yeah. We okay, can... I didn't know that. I, I was too scared to put anything in. To, yeah, so um... One of the things that you can use is beetle nut extract. So you know the stuff that like uh, people in like Southeast Asia use to stain their teeth and get high. Uh, they, yeah. they squeeze that out and it's used uh, as like a, they, they'll call it like planarian killer for shrimp tanks or for uh, commercial scale um, uh, aquaculture for shrimp. Uh, they regularly use that to eliminate that, uh, the little parasitic nematodes that uh, attack the eggs of the shrimps and stuff like that. So you can actually buy it in a commercial form that's designed specifically for that purpose in food quality, you know stuff destined for human consumption um but it, you can use it even with like you know the little tiny neocardinia shrimps yes uh, the cherry shrimps and stuff like that you can use it safely with them when it's dosed as directed so and it, uh, does, it doesn't it doesn't affect your microbes no no i mean i, I don't want to say it has zero effect because I, I haven't actually solely monitored my microbial populations around the dosing of that product. But I can tell you that I have used it previously when we have had aquatic plant attacking nematodes, uh, not the, those particular ones, but a different species. Uh, and it worked extremely well. Um, but some of the other That's things amazing. you can do in that scenario uh, for something like that, there, there's definitely some other uh, commercial products that they use for um, like midge mitigation and, and stuff like that. The other thing that I would say that uh, might work really well, um, again, I, I'm just thinking out, well, if they're an insect larva, but Bactylus thuringiensis might even work. Uh, the mosquito dunks, the ones that attack the mosquito larva, um, yeah. the bacteria that should work on them. The same, it works on fungus gnats and it works on um, uh, uh, other stuff that's extremely similar. So that would be another good you know, food safe option that would have no impact on the mineralization microbes uh, that would knock them out specifically. Um, the other thing too would be in your DWC beds, just throw in some guppies or, you know, some other, you know, live bear, mollies, platies, whatever from the, from the pet shop in the, in the yeah. beds, and just letting them breed out and feed on them, you know? And then there's, there's one more, there's one more issue that I'm sure you probably experience is um, aquatic, water snails yep they can be a pain in the butt too um the same uh, beetle nut product that i recommended will also knock them out um the other thing you could always do if you wanted to although you might not want to do it with cannabis in there but you can do it if you did it in a vegetable system would be using something like copper sulfate and killing them mm. that way um you just want to make sure you don't overshoot your copper too too much but uh, i don't remember what the ppm is for lethal levels on that but that would kill invertebrates um, you know, your seed shrimps and things like that. Whereas yeah. uh, the, um, uh, the, you know, you're not going to affect that part of the aquatic food web by utilizing that beetle nut extract. Hmm. Fascinating. Thank you. Yep. 
and then same thing too with them uh, uh, loaches are really good so you can put in like a weather loaches or or coolie loaches or or you know uh any other freshwater appropriate uh feeder for for snails but those are in the u.s at least are some of the best ones and in fact i know that i know that they are occasionally bred in south africa because i saw them in zim at a pet shop hmm. i'll look into that loaches great yeah that, that's their favorite food or hey if you can get some of those african puffer fish from uh, Congo, from DRC or something like that, you can uh, you can just grow those. They're going to be harder to come by, though. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Well, thank you. I've learned a great deal. Yeah, I don't want to tie up your whole day, man. But uh, I definitely look forward to speaking with you and uh, and talking to you uh, uh, later on. And um, uh, I very much appreciate having you on. Uh, why don't you tell everybody how to find you? Uh, I'm going to throw your Instagram up here. Uh, so that people can find you if they want to follow more about what you're doing. Yeah, they can follow me on Instagram, uh, underscore aquaponics. And I, I, I post pretty much every day. Um, trying to grow the family. I'm trying to educate as many people about aquaponics as I possibly can. Um, and I'm also, my mandate is to, to introduce cannabis to as many people as I can as well going forward. Awesome. Uh, thanks a lot and, for coming on, and uh, I certainly look forward to seeing uh, more of your work, for sure. Thank you very much for having me, Stephen. It's been fascinating and, and educational. I've, I've learned probably this, what I've learned in four years. Um, I've learned probably the equivalent in this conversation with you and, and your panel this morning. It's been fascinating. Thank you very much for having me. Anytime, and uh, we'll have to check back in with you uh, in a couple, you know, later on in the year and, and see kind of... Uh, uh, how things have transformed it sounds like you got a lot of stuff that you're you know building out and doing all kinds of cool stuff so i definitely look forward to see how you grow thank you very much and um, please don't forget to come and see us when you come to africa we'd love to have you around absolutely for a period of time yeah it'd be excellent thank you very much and i'll be i'll be speaking to you often going forward Stephen. if you don't mind you you're a great source of information absolutely buddy Thank you very much. Take care. And thanks again for getting up so early. I know a lot of a lot of people don't like getting up. <laughs> in the morning. No, I, was, I was very excited. Like I said, difficulty sleeping. I was looking forward to the, to the, the meeting this morning. Thank you very much. Awesome. And uh, again, you guys can check him out at Instagram underscore aquaponics is his Instagram. So. Thank you very much. Have a lovely day. You too. Cheers, Steve. Cheers. All right, that was awesome. Yeah, uh, you don't get a chance to, to talk to people across the pond very often. And uh, yeah. it's always nice to uh, get a different perspective and uh, uh, see uh, a whole different uh, side of growing. Also, you know, hey, who knew uh, there's a bunch of old school 80s skunk sitting in uh, South Africa being bred That's out. That's right, man. He was teasing the uh, the connection to the uh, strain hunters, right? Like, uh, I was going to ask him, like, so what are, you, what are you working on, man? What's the what's the new-new? Right. I'm sure he's got all kinds of stuff he's scheming on that he isn't talking about, but that's right. all good. Um, that's what we're all doing, I'm sure, you know? <laughs> um, what have you been up to? Uh, we've had quite the fun shows lately. <laughs> Same old, same old, basically, trying to kind of plug along. I keep uh, threatening to basically do, like, uh, recorded shows 
but I keep basically like you know, just be, being busy by everything else in life. So just kind of take another freaking live show is whatever. But uh, I don't know. It's been fun. It's been an interesting and rewarding thing. Like it's it's uh, gotten to the point where like a lot of the people they're they're recognizable and they you know for example if they know that we're here hanging out they come and they they hang out with us here and if we were hanging out somewhere else they would follow us there and hang out with us there. It's it's been kind of rewarding in that sense, you know. So. You know, there's you've seen this yourself many times there's ups and downs with with the shows there's not always like a justification to do it somehow so and then like when stuff goes south you're like why am i even doing this but anyway then when there's a, a dip there's usually also a, a a wave up so at least it, it uh how do i put this if you um i think put the right energy out you get it back oftentimes on uh on youtube so not always maybe sometimes too sometimes too you get really screwy um like you'll have an episode and be like, well, this is cool, but like, I don't know. I don't, I don't expect this to really, you know, be the top 10 for the next three months. And then all of a sudden that interview or film thing that you did is like, you know, crazy popular. There's a couple of like more obscure interviews that we've done that uh, have been, you know, super, super high on the, on the uh, download list. So definitely uh, interesting times. I know lately we've had a lot of, uh, good episodes with Coot and Josh mm -hmm. and Chris and all kinds of people. And definitely we, should, definitely we should check out Chris's class over at chrischump.com. Uh, he's got that awesome online class he's got now and he's got uh, some other stuff going on. You guys can check out his schedule if you want to take any of his live classes as well, which are super awesome. Um, uh, what else is going on? Marty and I have been doing a lot more filming and stuff like that. We have a whole new we're working on a whole new slide deck section now. Everything's been fully edited and put up or close to put up or is in queue and we'll be going up. Um, we're working on new content. Uh, we have the filming of how to build a greenhouse from logs. So he got a mill and we're building a greenhouse from scratch or he's building a greenhouse from scratch uh, at his house uh, and milling all the wood from logs. So basically if you're looking to like homestead an aquaponic okay. system especially an aquaponic cannabis system, um, really is some cool content and content that I certainly haven't seen around aquaponics. So we thought that would be a super cool content to do. Um, uh, he just did dug out the whole thing with tobacco. Um, so, and then other than that, just kind of, uh, man, just trying to, um, just honestly, just worried about my friends out West right now. I, I see how hot this has been and I'm just dread, like, I'm just dreading what August is going to look like, you know. They were talking on the radio today. I, I don't remember. I was just driving around and on NPR, they were saying some climate scientists were saying that this was actually a fairly freak occurrence, this over 115 degree wave that we had for three or four days. Uh, I hope so. But yeah, it's uh, never gotten, to, a it's never gotten to 121 in British Columbia before. <laughs> well, that's what he was saying, that this is now, uh, first of all, it displays to us what the possible is, because we didn't realize that it was possible before, but this also probably stretches the bounds of possibility in this area, like a rubber band, I think he was trying to say. Maybe I was confusing that with another interview, but still. So that's that's certainly what I'm concerned about, that there's going to be like something else in August or September or something like, this was barely manageable for a lot of people. Uh, British Columbia is already reporting like 500 sudden deaths. So there's going to be a lot of heat deaths and everything else. And, and We're on July 1st. Pardon? I said we have two more solid months of two and a half solid months of summer, you know, like this is, uh, you know, very worrying. 
for my friends out well, west. It was a dry, very, very dry spring, I think, for almost everybody on the west. Uh, uh, I know Oregon was very dry. I think California, California's been dry. They're in a mega drought for ages now, Washington and Canada too. So we might have, again, like the west coast on fire, like it was last year. Like people don't, you know, if they weren't here, they don't like, realize how strange it was. Like the west coast was on fire, like the whole thing. No, you know, I wasn't part, even. You know, like no, all of it. I wasn't gonna say it, but since you said it, but yeah, the I I, I they already said that there was an NPR interview where this they talked to the soil scientists to go out and check moisture content and all that stuff, to as part of the fire service and the forest service, and they said they were at July level dryness in the beginning of May. That's not good. Yeah. And there's not likely to be a. a several big rainstorms that will solve the problem or something. Yeah, I was driving around uh, Mount Hood looks basically bare already. That's pretty unusual. Normally Mount Hood has, I mean, Mount Hood traditionally was a place that you could actually go skiing in the summer. It had, had like, people are like, what are you talking about? Like summer skiing. So you could go until July, you could actually ski and like cut off like shirts and cut off shorts, but it was still cold enough at snow level that you could actually ski. How weird is that? Well, you can't, don't, yeah, no, that's, I don't think that's gonna happen this year. I don't know, man. It's weird. Is aquaponics something that will actually, um, speaking of homesteading and everything else, like is aquaponics something that can survive into that kind of crazy new future? I mean, as long as you have your own power source, you know, if you're near a river, you could always run a turbine. There's lots of those little micro turbines now that run on water power that as long as you had, you know, you're on a hillside and you got a stream, you could pull off of that or solar power or micro wind turbine. And as long as you built your own microgrid, yeah, you're perfectly fine you can't run it without power which is one of the downsides to it but well, i guess you can still have solar i was I'm even thinking as soon as i said it i did probably there's an easy solution i was thinking about like water temperature but you probably just chill the water or something huh well so so like uh, i've seen systems as big as fourteen thousand square feet run off of you know under 300 dollars worth of power per month oh, wow. you know just the pumps and the air blowers basically it's not that much power. Those pumps are only maybe a thousand, uh, like if you're doing a massive commercial system, maybe a thousand watts, but most of the time they're like two, 300 watts, 400 watts, nothing compared to what your lights are or anything else that most people are doing. So, you know, it's, it's not, it's not all that much. And if you, you want, if you're real worried about it, you can, you can get DC pumps. You know, they use a lot of DC pumps for bilge pumps for boats that are designed to work for decades in seawater, right? So the, all, sourcing all that stuff is super easy, especially DC powered stuff, because um, it's all made for boat electrical, right? So the, you have this huge library of, of ready to use parts that's easy to come by, you know, used or new, that's, you know, pretty indestructible because it's designed for seawater, you know what I mean? So um, it can be a great, great way if you are looking to kind of figure it out yourself. And we talked about too with the gentleman from, um, uh, grow, grow together was on uh, 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 Charles um, about how you know a lot of times too you can f find someone that had you know hippies from the 70s 80s or 90s living in the house and someone moved in that's conservative and rips the thing off and says sit on the curb you can pick those up all day long in Colorado and California if you cruise around sit on Craigslist for a couple of days you'll find them for free you know especially if you're trying to really put together a community garden or really put together a homesteading thing or, or you know you're really motivated I know that we, when we worked at the aquaponics source, Robbie and I built that entire solar system off for free off of Craigslist and Boulder. And we got solar water heaters and solar panels all for free because we just 
drove over and picked them up. One of them we had to take off the roof, which is a bit sketch, but we did it. I don't understand that mentality. Like you just bought a house, there's a solar panel on it, and you're saying, oh, fuck this shit, I don't want it here. Like, it's their way of sticking it to Al Gore. Is that what it is? It's just a vicious hatred of like, I mean, that's just excessive, man. Like, I just don't even understand. Like, I don't like country music, no, but, but like, it's like people a Waylon Jennings statue was in front of my house. I'd be like, well, that's kind of cool. Yeah, but people put like oil injectors into their engines so they can blow coal. Like, right. That's true. That talking about people that are highly uneducated and incapable of critical thinking. <laughs> when I see the people rolling coal, man, I'm just like, what part of you is not an asshole? Like everything I, they're doing is just to basically for show. I had a dude one time. I was in my car, in my in my old Novo, and I used to have it. And uh, uh, this guy rolled coal, and I had my windows down. And it went through my car. So I I had like a, a root beer bottle. So I pull up to him the next light and winged him right in the fucking head. <laughs> like fuck you, dude. Like, there's no reason to do that shit. Absolutely not. Seriously. Like, I don't know. I'm just going to smogify yeah. you because I'm an asshole. Like, what, what there's no that? point to it. You know, it just, it's, I don't get it. You could at least say the dude burning out, like, okay, it's kind of fun because the dude's screeching, whatever. It's still annoying because it stinks and it's like super smelly. But uh, I don't know. At least that's kind of fun. But if you're just blowing coal, like, or rolling coal, fuck, whatever. I don't even care to know what it's called. Yeah, I find it so douchey. Yeah, it's it's I don't I don't get it. Um, also, I just wanted to say thanks to the community. We actually broke thirteen hundred dollars the other day for Stoney's Relief Fund. Um, we'll make sure we have a link in the comments here. Um, but uh, we've been really, um, you know, a big thank you to the community that's helped donate for that. Um, I wanted to say thanks for that because they broke another another milestone for that. So thank you, everyone. Um, it's made a big difference for his wife and and their farm. So. Yep, only a year and a half ago, we were talking to him. At least I was talking to him at the uh, Indo Expo. Before COVID, like we probably all caught COVID there. Uh, Dan and I didn't, or at least I don't know, maybe we we're immune. But Stony was there. I think he caught it there. None of us thought that he wouldn't be around a year later, a year and a half later. Yeah, yeah man. that happens, man. Right. I uh, have a friend of mine that's holding some of the slurricane cut we got from him, so we're gonna grab some of that. And uh, and get that going again. Once I get moved, it's going to be one of the strains I'm going to grab for my mom room. Because uh, I'm sure there's quite a few homies that uh, were his friends that want that cut. So I'll make sure that they uh, they can get access to it. Another one of those lessons too, by the way. Every time I ever hear about you know somebody passing away, when you think, oh, too young. Well, what what, what is that, honestly? But uh, you know, another reason never to really like uh, be mean to people because you never really know if it's going to be the last time you talk to somebody. You know what I mean? You might have said something in even as a joke, but maybe it'll be the last time you will have spoken to them about it. And you'd be like, well, fuck, that's the last goddamn dumb thing that I said. You know, like, why not be just kind, decent, whatever else? So that, like, if you do hear a terrible story, if nothing else, you can think, hey, you know what? That last time we talked, it was a good thing. I don't know. Maybe that's a small thing, but I think about it sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, what, how do I, how many times someone has been tucked out of the world and I thought, oh, this last thing I said was, I don't know, grocery list. It's just something stupid, you know? I don't know. Yeah, I, uh, 
I don't know how I, I went fishing with him. We went fishing. We caught a giant spoonbill that was like five feet long. That was freaking awesome. They caught a bunch of bass and catfish and a couple of gar. And man, we just had a blast a couple of times hanging out because they were an hour or two away from where I was and they were just moving to Oklahoma. And we just kind of hung out and, you know, spent some time on the river just shooting the shit, having beers and, and you know, shit happened in March and that was that. Uh, wasn't it a drunk driver actually? Yep. That's good. But congrats <laughs> to the people that are donating, donating and helping yes. us out. Thank, thank you everyone that has donated to the link for, for a few meetings. Um, all that money goes directly to his wife, Lauren. So a big thank you to everyone that's done that. Uh, what uh you got any guests coming up on your show or anything else interesting coming up uh you know what uh i think the guest for this week is actually open am i gonna think here for a second no i think it's open we've had we've had killer guests honestly thanks to you thanks to Koot, thanks to a couple people we've had some absolutely spectacular freaking guests on my show so how do i put this like uh i don't know i've been trying to figure out who to get uh I'm, I'm babbling right now, but basically what I'm trying to say is like, uh, how do I say this? Uh, I have this idea where basically we'll have like two, three guests in a row and then basically we have a, a, a show essentially where we kind of get together and talk about, you know, whatever. Uh, the reason being is that uh, you've said this before on my show, like it's kind of this free flowing uh, place. And I've noticed where it is kind of free flowing, the show weirdly works better. Like there's more viewers, there's more thumbs up, there's more everything. So it's like, I'm always mindful of like, I really like the shows where I have a guest, there's an interview and a structure and everything else. But like always, I always have to kind of dial it back a little bit and let the, the freedom come back into it because uh, that seems to be the kind of the best shows or at least, you know, according to the audience, I don't know. So whatever, like I said, like every, every time I do have like a month of, of guests, and that's kind of what we have. I'm like, all right, let's dial it back and have like, I don't know, just one week where we, the fit or something but no man i how do i put this thanks to you especially i've started to get really ambitious about who we can get you know like people used to talk about oh get mendo dope and i was like oh they probably won't come on but now they might you know what i mean like we've actually had some pretty good shows like maybe we can invite them they actually come on uh you've said breeder steve we've got to have him on the show one of these days yeah we'll get steve on that's gonna be fantastic and he's like very well requested like just about every time we ask who do you want on the show it's pretty much one of them there's no shortage of people we can ask, I guess. That's the nice thing. There's a lot of nice people, too. How do I put that? Like, um, I noticed that in the past, I didn't want to replicate the same kind of, uh, no offense to a lot of other shows. Everybody has their right to do their YouTube thing. Like, and I'm not going to criticize the way people do things, but I didn't want to copy everybody else. And so I didn't really want to have the same conversations with, let's say, I don't know, nutrient companies or whatever, the stuff that I'm not super duper interested in, or, or I don't know silicon manufacturing companies or whatever so like for me it's more interesting to talk to people who honestly i can talk to on just like a normal level and ask them questions like i'm interested in what they do you know so for example i'm interested in you know what breeder steve breeds you know because he's breeder steve he just does all kinds of cool stuff and i've i've have a little tangential touch with with the ruby jack i think has the sweet pink grapefruit like you know a couple different grandparents back so of course i want to ask him about that on and on uh, and it's fun, basically, that uh, the show has kind of gravitated. I mean, I guess I've gravitated it that way, but I guess I'm trying to say, like, I, I, I've enjoyed that kind of discussion where we basically get to, without too much pressure, we're not necessarily selling uh, 
the next newest greatest thing that that's been fun i think i have to say that the the fact that people come on basically mostly to shoot the ball and then yeah also hey you know by my seats miss jill came on you know she's not coming on as a non-profit entity or something she's not coming on just for giggles but she very much talked to us just on a human level conversation wise we, we were able to kind of just get to know her and then also get to know hey miss jill sees are amazing so anyway, I'm babbling, but uh, it's it's been fun that we've been able to do that, and that's actually been thanks to people like you, thanks to thanks to, uh, to uh, uh, Smashed got Miss Jill on the show. Uh, there's been some really good people that kind of brought the the people on the show, so that's been really fun. It's hard; people don't realize how hard it is. You realize how hard it is to get guests. Like people don't realize how hard it is to honestly like. First of all, you got to put yourself out there, which, you know, everybody is different. Not everybody likes to get rejected because if you do, you could email 10 people and all of them know you. You're still going to get rejected by a few of them. They're going to blow you off. They're going to ignore you. They're going to leave you on read. You're going to like, oh, so that's our friendship. Uh, it's very illustrative when you basically start to see stuff like that. You just got to kind of let it all go. You got to not take any of it personally. You know what I mean? And you yeah. have to realize yeah. that if you invite 10 people, you might not get nine people back, you know? The other thing too, sometimes we get super interesting guests that you know that can be you want on the show, but they Absolutely. can't come on the show because it's cannabis related. Yep. Like yep. there, there, yep. there's two guests that are crazy knowledgeable yep. on yep. Uh, microorganisms and the mineralization of nutrients in aquaponics in regards to like aquatic microbiomes that are like Jedi level stuff, but they won't come on my show because it's it's cannabis. They're they're not aquaponic people. They're people that did a lot of work in the planted aquarium world. But um, their level of understanding is just just so far ahead of. They're kind of like the the like Elaine Ingham's of like the uh, aquatic food web. But they, I can't get either one of them on the show because we talk about cannabis and it will fuck up their brand. You know, they they can't deal with that because they deal a lot with Asia, and Asia will immediately blacklist you for that. So you can't deal that. So and I understand, but you know, sometimes people have weird restrictions. You know. You know, as uh, now that you say that, I'm kind of laughing to myself because I'm like, all right, here's here's the difference. You don't have that problem. You're, you know, potent ponics. When you call people, they freaking respond. You know, like how do I put this? Not everybody responds to, you know, Fumador and the flavors and and his friends. So it's one of those kinds of circumstances. I'm still basically in that that uh, scenario. I very much do have to rely on my friends that basically have connections. You know, so when I uh, ask people, hey, would you like to come on my show? I don't always get a response. But you know, I guess I'm trying to say like you you can't take it personally. How do I put this? It's been very interesting learning that process. Inviting people, getting them to schedule on a specific date. Uh, I'm gonna freaking stop putting my foot in my mouth. I wish I fuck up. Oh, you're fine. Um, it, it is very hard to have a consistent show every single week <laughs> and have guests lined up. And then also too, like, you know this, a lot of times guests have like different shit come up or you yep, find yep, out that yep. the like, the other week, Chris Trump happened to be more. teaching somewhere or consulting somewhere where his connection was fuck all. So we had to postpone him. Uh, you know, it just happens, right? So being able to like have a couple of cool people that you can call and be like, yo, my guest canceled. Can you come on tonight? That they can kind of do it semi-regular that can right, like yeah. be ringer when you need them to be is always good too. And that can be kind of hard to find people. And then sometimes it can be hard to kind of balance some of the personalities, especially if you're doing a panel show, the more people oh, yeah. that you have more complicated against right. and then sometimes people on your guests will say things that you know people yeah. get mad at you about which i've dealt a lot with over the years so 
That is absolutely something that I've learned, even on my tiny little channel, that basically uh, some people, of course, treat you normally because, of course, they realize it's just a YouTube show and they, they just talk to you like a friend. But you do get this thing where people kind of treat you as like the statue that they can kind of post post-it notes on or whatever. So if somebody says something they don't like, they basically take it to you as if you're, I don't know, like, what, what are you going to do? But what am I going to do? But like somebody else said something I don't like, like, what am I going to tell them to shut up? I mean, what do you want me to do? Like not have them on the show or something like that's come up a bunch of times. I'm just like, I, I don't know what to tell you. What do you want me to do? It's just like, like they, they're basically just tagging you like a statue. They're just leaving graffiti. I think I realized So you just kind of like have to hear them and like kind of respond semi appropriately and then just let it go. The other, the other thing that can be kind of weird is people end up having this like very one-sided relationship where like they uh they've listened to hundreds of hours of you talk and then you True. don't know who they are right uh, right right and i don't mean that disrespectfully i just mean that like we haven't met in person so uh, yeah. i don't you know and people feel like they like are uh, trying to say like they just uh are very open and stuff like that immediately and you're always sometimes If he comes back, I don't know if you guys can hear me or if you can't hear him. I figure it's the internet, but my internet's been okay lately. If his picture goes dark, we'll know it's his. If he was talking about, um, that's come up once or twice. Uh, the people were really nice about it, but uh, somebody would be like, uh, oh, such and such, whatever. I don't even remember what the circumstance was, but uh, oh, yeah, it was his internet. Hopefully he'll, he'll be back here in a second. Hold on, folks. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, so far, so good. Actually, people were quite nice about it. They'd be like, I, again, I don't remember the context, but they'd say something a little bit overly sherry. And then, you know, realize like, oh, my goodness, sorry, I didn't realize, you know, I've been watching your show for, I don't know, six months or a year or something uh so uh how do i put it uh yeah it's not like they know everything about me but they know everything that i've said on the show for example they've listened to me like uh i think one dude was um one dude was a truck driver maybe so basically like you know has no nothing but time to listen you know what i mean so just like constantly listen to every single show like oh you said such and such, and such, and such episode blah 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 and i'm like i i don't remember that i don't i don't know i have many shows i had many shows uh, and again, thankfully, it was, you know, a super chill conversation. It was like, uh, oh, I forget that, uh, you know, I've watched so many shows and you barely know me. It is kind of a funny relationship, I have to be honest. Uh, I guess I'm just going to keep bullshitting. I don't know, until Potent uh, texts me that maybe he wants to shit can the show or something. Sometimes uh, Coop comes on. I think maybe he won't, won't come on tonight. Uh, I don't know. It might just be Potent and me bullshitting. So maybe he's cutting it. Maybe he's cutting it for the show, but we're going to give it for a little bit for a second. I couldn't talk. Uh, we're going to give it a second, folks. Uh, I'm rolling up a joint here. This is me selfishly talking. This is something I bred. Uh, this is not the picture in the picture graph thingy. This is Morgana that I bred. But I guess I'll light it. That might be him telling me something. Let's see what he says. Uh, be entertaining for two minutes. I'm going to be entertaining for two minutes. Ladies and gentlemen, a priest, a rabbi. And, no, I'm kidding. Uh, what was I going to say? Um, you and I have, uh, El Dabo is asking if I try to get Joel from Northstar, but very much so. Northstar, I think, is a little bit shy uh, coming on YouTube. It's hard to imagine that people can be shy. Like, people are always surprised about Ms. Jill. 
like, what? Really? She's shy? No way. Miss Steele is actually legendarily shy on like live streams in public and stuff. She's not that shy, but um, at least I don't think so. But uh, definitely on like YouTube, stuff like that, she's super shy. Uh, I get the feeling that maybe North Star is a little bit uh, apprehensive about coming on live because I've asked him and he was a little bit like, eh, I would like to, but uh, we'll see. We very much like him on there. I, I very, very, very much respect his uh, genetics. In fact, I honestly still probably have quite a bit of his genetics. The Bedrock Boogie comes, uh, comes from him that I have. Uh, what else? Uh, several things that I used to have that I don't have anymore, not because I didn't like them. I actually really wish I still had them. The Roswell came from him. I really, really wish I hadn't gotten rid of that. Um, I think the sugar tits might be from him. It's either from him or Badger. I can't remember, honestly, either way. But uh, I'm a big fan of North Star. Uh, he has one of the biggest libraries that I know of. There's probably other libraries that you know are bigger for all I know, but um, dude, the guy has everything. He has everything from Subcool, everything from, um, I don't know, all the classic Bay Area cuts. He's got, uh, dude, I can't even think of what he's got right now. I guess I'm nervous. He's got a ton of stuff. Go look at the menu. Uh, cool old stuff too, cool old school stuff. He'll always pull out like uh, Alcatraz OG and um, uh, all kinds of cool Calio crosses, but Calio crosses that are weirdly good. Everybody's sick of them, but they actually end up being good. Um, that's it, Perpetual. It was me, man. I hit the I hit the uh, the exit button. I basically kicked Steve out of here. I was like, "Fuck! It's going to be the freaking humidor show, man. We're going to talk about me." Uh, for folks that don't know me, uh, I, it's a little bit like Doctor Who. Uh, there was a transmutation kind of thing, and uh, I am now the second potent Ponix. I hate to disappoint you. <laughs> People are like, wait, where's the dreadlocks? Uh, you got, if you're familiar with Doctor Who, you're probably dying of laughter right now. Uh, I don't have a sonic screwdriver. What would uh, potent Ponix have? He would have a sonic... Well, Potent Ponix would have probably something else, but uh, Potent Ponix would probably have a sonic pH meter, I would assume. Maybe. Actually, I don't know. He never really talks about pH meters. What would he have? He would have a sonic um, sonic dreadlock roller, maybe? Sonic uh, fucking internet, he says. Uh, well, he, hold on. Let me read his met message. He might be telling me to uh, take over his channel forever and... Uh, like Napoleon, take over Russia. Uh, they say don't do it in winter, though. So, oh, you know what? They say that, honestly, we can fucking kill it. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to freaking light this joint. Uh, is it too yet? It's too late to do 420, but I guess uh, light the joint with me. We're going to plug a couple things, and then we're going to fuck off for the evening. But uh, thanks very much for hanging. Uh, I know Putin would be very happy to uh, have seen you. He wants me very much to plug. I'll also link this if I can. Here, let me see if I can copy and paste this. Please, my friends, go if you would like to go check out. Um, he has a variety of aquaponics classes. He and Marty, I believe, both. Oh, copy and paste the wrong thing. Thank you for not posting that. So for all your aquaponic class needs, please go to apmjclass.com. That's with two S's. I think his nutrient website is also the same thing, but apmjnutes.com. So if you need, uh, I think they call it, uh, whatever. I'm not really a, an aquaponic grower. I just kind of play one on TV right now. 
solubilized nutrients. I think they has the, the whole the shebang, the whole gamut, <laughs> all the stuff you might need, the uh, calcium and the fucking nitrogen stuff and all that shit. Uh, he has all of it over on apmjnutes.com. Uh, they have also all those awesome classes, uh, tons and tons of stuff. You see, there's more and more coming. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks very much for hanging. Thank you for, oh my holy goodness, what was the guest's name again? He's underscore aquaponics. His name was, I'm losing it right now. His name is uh, Sweetwater's Aquaponics from South Africa. Uh, Shannon, it was actually a pleasure to listen. Uh, thank you very much for hanging.